The following message is preached by Pastor Dan McGann. It comes from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 24 through chapter 2, verse 5. Good morning. You would open your Bibles to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians. We're going to be in the end of chapter 1 and we'll dabble a little bit into chapter 2 as well. As you'll see in the bulletin, our text is Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through chapter 2, verse 5. So what I want to do is sort of break it in half. We're going to finish out chapter 1, and then it'll carry over, and we'll see where they connect a little bit. Um, so let's read Colossians chapter 1, and we'll just read verses 24 through 29 right now. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that He powerfully works within me. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this opportunity. We thank You for this really beautiful day. Those that have wells appreciate rain. So Lord, thank You for perspective as well. And Lord, we ask that You would pour down the rain of blessing on us today as we learn from Your Word and fill up the well spring of our souls that we might be on display for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the first part of our text, I, I kind of want us to focus on verse 24. But to get to verse 24, we're going to do a little different than we would normally do. I'm going to actually back out to 29 and work our way back to 24. Rather than work 24, 25, 26, we're going we're we're to reverse exegete this today. I think it builds a foundation, and then we're going we're gonna to take a, a closer look. What I really want to answer is two questions. How could anything be lacking in Christ's afflictions? So Paul asks the question, he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, this is verse 24, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. So we want to answer the first question, what could possibly be lacking in Christ's afflictions? And wasn't his suffering and death all sufficient? So these are two questions that arise when you read that verse 24. So to get there, let's back all the way up to verse 20. I mean, let's go forward a little bit and work our way back from verse 29. Paul says there in verse 29, and I'll read it again, <clears throat> excuse me. Brought my glasses. For this 
I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul says that there is a purpose for which he labors. There's a, there's a reason, there is a purpose and a, and a striving and an agonizing. All right, so he, he, he says, look at it again. Verse 29. For this, and he's talking about 28, so we're going to see that. I toil, struggling with all his energy. He's reminding us that it is not him that is doing the work, but he is the vessel, and the power and the energy is actually coming from God. What he's alluding to there is, I couldn't do this without his energy. Because it is a struggle. Because there is toiling. Because it is difficult. So he is saying, it is agonizing labor to serve the Lord. And I can only do it in his power. And in verse 28, he's describing the purpose of his labor. Uh, to present everyone that he reaches complete in Christ. So our, our, our text today and our version reads this way. <clears throat> it says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ or complete in Christ, as probably some of your versions would, would, would uh, translate that Greek word complete he does this by proclaiming christ this is the labor that he's doing and he he is saying it requires a couple things admonishing people and teaching people uh, this is an area that i think the western church lacks in today admonishing people and actually teaching people what has happened in the church of, of our present day is it has, instead of admonishing, we have been accommodating. And we have accommodated sin, we have welcomed it in, and rather than admonishing it, we have laid out the welcome mat for it. Paul is saying to the church in Colossa, and, and we're going to see in a minute just all of the voices that are speaking into them, he is saying, this hard work comes because this is what require, is required in order to preach the gospel, in order to get God's message out. We are former enemies of Christ who are now His children. There is, there, is a, there is an admonishing that is necessary, and there is a teaching. And so this is a ceaseless labor, and it requires Christ's energy. If you look at verses 26 and 27, they define a little bit more in detail where Paul is proclaiming. He, he, he actually describes it as a mystery in verse 26. But he's not saying it's a mystery because it can't be understood. Because if it couldn't be understood, then it wouldn't be able to be taught. And therefore, there would be no admonishment off of the teaching if it was a mystery and couldn't be understood. What he's saying is, it is now being revealed. And this is really important as we get into chapter 2. Because he's saying, this mystery is now being revealed. And this mystery includes the Gentiles. So remember the audience that we're, that we're talking to here. 
he's not only preaching to a newly converted Gentile audience in the Colossian church, but he's preaching to a newly converted Jewish population in the, in, in the Colossian church. Ones that are steeped in Jewish uh, law-abiding. And, and they're also being spoken to by the Judaizers. Hey, you have to keep the law. You have to keep doing all of these things in order to fully be a Christian. In order to fully be a part of God's family. There's a, there's a due part. So he's describing these riches and glory as a mystery that is now being revealed. So what hasn't been revealed up until this point in the, in the Jewish Messiah is that the Christ will actually reach out to non-Jews and, and that non-Jewish people will actually be uh, indwelled by a Holy Spirit included in the family of God, given the same heir and rights uh, as the Jewish people. He would actually live in them, dwell in them, and give the promises of Abraham to the Gentiles. These were people that were raised to think that the Gentiles were wretched. They couldn't even eat with them or talk to them or, or step in the same foot imprint as a Gentile. So remember, this is, this is an audience of newly converted Gentiles, but also newly converted Jews. So now this mystery is being revealed. And Paul is proclaiming Christ and teaching and admonishing that Jesus is the Messiah and we have a hope of glory because of it. And so these newly converted Jewish Christians are they're, they're really paying attention. They, he's really got their attention now. The hope and the glory of God belong to all who trust in Christ. Not just you Jews. And so really this hope of glory is what you can put your faith in. So these afflictions that are lacking, what is he talking about? The afflictions that are lacking in the sense that it's not that they're not complete. This is not, an, this is not him saying that Jesus' suffering wasn't powerful enough. It's not a question of power. It's a question of proclamation. So he's saying, I'm completing the, the afflictions, the sufferings of Jesus by telling others about that. It has been a mystery up to this point. It has had no value to the listening ear up until this point. He simply says that the proclamation of Christ is the fulfilling of this stewardship that God has given us as ministers. So when you become a believer, David and, and, and Mike and Justin and myself are not the only ministers in this building. That believers are ministers of the Gospel. And so, simply put, Paul is not saying that Jesus' afflictions are lacking in their power. He's saying they're lacking in the proclamation. People don't know about it. They don't understand why He went through those afflictions. The, the affliction and, and the cross, it's, it's fully sufficient. 
What is lacking is that people don't know. And that's where you come in, church. That's what he's saying. This is, this is the afflictions that he's talking about. This is the lacking of the affliction that he's talking about. He says that this ministry of extending the mystery of Christ and exposing and opening up the eyes of the unbeliever, this hope of glory to the nations, and admonishing them and teaching them, this involves something. This is how we back all the way up. Because verse 24 starts with him saying that he's okay with something. What is he okay with? He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings. He is saying all of this, so we backed up to 29, we worked our way all the way up to 24. What he's saying is, all of this comes with a price tag. And that price tag is suffering. So when Paul suffers for the church, for the message, for the uh, extending the, the proclamation of the afflictions of Jesus, he is extending the hope of glory to more and more people. And in teaching them this, and in admonishing them, and in, and in proclaiming this truth, what comes with that is suffering. And this is a man well acquainted with suffering. It started the day he became a believer. Mike just read about it. If you will, go back with me to Acts chapter 9. And I want to read that last verse again. Acts chapter 9. I want to read verse 16 again. Acts chapter 9. And let's read verse 16. <clears throat> Excuse me. Find it first. For I will show him, this is Jesus when he's talking to Ananias, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now, this is a little side trail. This ain't in my notes, so this is free. You can pay extra for this later. Think about Ananias in this situation. God takes the man who's coming to persecute him and says, I want you to serve this man by going in, announcing that you work for me, and I want you to lay hands on him and let him know all of these things. And he, Ananias even says, uh, we talked about the same guy here? Because he has authority to bind me up and take me back to Jerusalem. So we're, we're, we are talking about the same guy, right? So even in the very beginning of Paul's conversion, the possibility for suffering for him and other believers is present. Because Ananias had to take a step of faith and realize that he was rolling the dice. He could have... What if... What if Paul rejects God and binds me up and takes me back to Jerusalem? So one, it shows a lack of faith on his part, but it also shows a step of faith on his part. Because he's saying, I am trusting that what you're saying, God, is true. 
and I am trusting that you already have this worked out, and that when I walk in there, he's going to do what you have said for him to do. So let's get back to the text. So these lacking, these afflictions that are lacking, it's about proclamation. It's, It's not about power. And we are ministers of the Gospel who are supposed to go out and admonish and teach. We are supposed to call brothers and sisters to live sinless lives. The punishment for that has already been paid on the cross. The proclamation is about the sufferings of Christ, the power that they already have, and how much better your life will be when you follow the way. But wait a minute. If our life is going to be so much better when we follow the way, why is there suffering? Suffering is part of the way? Suffering is part of following? There's a strong confirmation of this in the use of a similar word in Philippians chapter 2. If you look at Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 28 through 30. Paul says to the church in Philippi, I am more eager to send him, therefore. Let me give you a little back text. So so Paul tells the church in Philippi to honor Epaphroditus. Um, Epaphroditus uh, is in the church in Philippi, and and the church has, has gathered support, funding, supplies, a big old giant care package for Paul. It was probably money and supplies and and maybe copies of Scripture. And they decided to send him to Paul in Rome, who was in prison. And Epaphroditus is the person who's going to bring them. And so, uh, in his travels uh, of carrying this supply, he he almost loses his life. Uh, Earlier in this reading, it talks about him being sick almost to the point of death. And God spares him. So that's how we land here in this letter to, to Philippians, Paul tells the church in Philippi, honor him. Honor Epaphroditus when he comes back. And he gives this reason. And this is verses 28 through 30. Paul says, I'm eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to what? Complete what was lacking in your service to me. Well, that seems like a pretty bold statement. What do you mean by that? The original phrase there, completing what was deficient in your service, is almost the same thing as saying filling up what is lacking, right? So he's not talking about the actual gift here. He's not talking about that. What he's saying is, Epaphroditus did what all of you couldn't do. He did the work. He put it in. He traveled. He carried the care package. You all would have loved to have come together. And the whole church would have loved to have been there to, to deliver this package. There's no doubt. But that wasn't possible for you. That, that's pretty much impossible. And Paul represents Epaphroditus as this supplying the lack of what 
the ministry wanted to offer. I think it's exactly the same words. What he's saying is it's not about, it, 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 it's what you would want to have done by delivering the package yourself. And Jesus did what he said he would do when he was here. And he suffered and died on a cross for us. And what is lacking in that? Nothing powerful. The purpose and the mission were completed. What is lacking is the delivery of it. So Paul is saying, we get to deliver the message of the sufferings of Christ. And you guys would have liked to deliver all this package, but Epaphroditus did it on your behalf. And so honor him. God's answer to this lack is to call the people of Christ, us, just like Paul, to present the afflictions of Christ to the ends of the earth. And what comes with that is suffering. It happens. You will suffer culturally. You could suffer financially. You can suffer in many different ways. We finish what we were designed for. We finish, namely, the personal presentation to the world of the suffering of Jesus on their behalf. But notice how Paul says in verse 24, he says that it is in his sufferings and in his flesh where he's suffering, but he rejoices in that. He rejoices in the suffering. How does one rejoice in suffering? What this means, I think, is that God intends for the afflictions of Christ to be presented to the world. And they're able to see that His afflictions and the power that came from His defeating death gets to be displayed through His people. Because Scripture tells us it was for the joy that He did that. It was His joy to suffer so that we could have access to Him. There was a necessary suffering. And so God, I believe, allows some necessary suffering. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. He's saying, I rejoice in the fact that I get to share this message with this waiting world, and I rejoice in the fact that I get to share in the sufferings of Christ as well. So Christ's will is to have a personal presentation of suffering to the world, and one that still shows joy within it. How many times have we seen those uh, moments on television. I, I watched one not long ago. We were watching a documentary and this man's daughter was brutally murdered by a man. And it comes to the courtroom time for sentencing and he walks up to represent the family. And what you expect is that this man is going to stand there and say, Your Honor, I hope you burn this man at the stake. I hope you do to him what he did to my daughter. I hope you... At what this man did was he stepped to the podium and he said, Your Honor, 
Give this man the grace he did not provide, my daughter. Give this man the mercy he did not provide, my daughter. And he goes into a, a long thing about Christ uh, and the sacrifice that Christ made in the courtroom, documented by the stenographer. It's, it's in the books forever and ever. His opportunity to suffer in his own power or to suffer in the power of Christ. And there's countless numbers of those displays. I wish we saw more. And I wish that we saw more. His sufferings are completed in our sufferings because in ours, the world sees His. And He sees... John, John Piper puts it this way. He said, the suffering love of Christ for sinners is seen in the suffering love of His people for sinners. Hear that again. The suffering love of Christ for sinners is seen in the suffering love of His people for sinners. I thought that was powerful. I think what we see in this portion of text today is the living out of Jesus' words in Mark chapter 8. Whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels shall save it. The pathway of salvation is the pathway of losing one's life for the sake of the Gospel. The, the point is that taking the Gospel to the people in your office, in your neighborhood, across the ocean, it ordinarily requires sacrifice and suffering and losing of life sometimes and denying yourself. It could be as small as denying yourself the social status in the office where you become the crazy gospel preacher, the guy who, oh, don't talk to Dan about that because he's always going to bring it back to Jesus. You don't get invited to all the cookouts. Or, as we've seen missionaries across the ocean who literally lose their physical life for the Gospel. So the pathway is paved with suffering. And so this is the way that Christ means for saving sufferings to be taken to the world. And this is where Paul starts his smackdown on the heretics that are talking into the Colossian church. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings. John MacArthur commented in his, uh, in his commentary, the, the Calvary road is not a joyous road. It is a painful one. But it is a profoundly happy one. When we choose the fleeting pleasures of comfort and security over the sacrifices and sufferings of missions and evangelism, we choose against joy. We choose a temporary happiness. Man, that's, that's powerful. Isaiah 58.11 says, we choose broken cisterns that hold no water. And we reject, we reject the spring of water whose water never fails. So the happiest people in the world are actually the ones that are revealing the mystery of Christ to the world. The ones who suffer for Christ's sake 
ultimately find joy. You know why? Because that joy is eternal. It is temporary here. It is, it is difficult to fight for in the flesh, but it, it ultimately results in a glorified body in the presence of God and eternity with the Creator. And this is why I say he begins his smackdown on the heretics that are speaking into the Colossian church because he, he, God chose it this way to create the ultimate perfect bride. So now he calls us to suffering, and the heretic's suffering has no purpose. Think about other religions and other false teachings. It's all about the lack of suffering, making everything perfect so that you don't ever have to feel pain. And Christ says, there is a fallen world that required my broken body and my shed blood in order to make it, make it so that that broken people could have perfect fellowship with me. It requires suffering. Christianity doesn't hide the fact which is again going back to my earlier statement, why the Western church has become accommodating. Because we don't preach about the suffering of Christ. We don't preach about the suffering of His people. As a matter of fact, we've, we've flipped it and said, if you're suffering, you must be doing something wrong to God. He must have something in for you. Man, you're really going through it. We're like Job's friends. And that's why he goes into chapter 2 and he says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. And for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen, this is Colossians chapter 2, verses 1. 1 through 5. For all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery which is christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge i say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments for though i am absent in body yet i am with you in spirit rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in christ now the Colossian Christians, they can, they can protect themselves, Paul says, from the assaults of false teachers by understanding what the truth is. And he sort of takes a little jab. He, he, he says these plausible arguments. It is the Spirit of God that strengthens us. He, he establishes that earlier. He says, I'm doing it in His energy, not mine. He does it as we feed on the Word of God. He does it through trials and difficulties and sufferings that come our way. He does it through teaching and, admission, and, and admonition of our, uh, 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 of our teachers, other Christians who minister to us in spirit and strength. But according to Paul, wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ and Christ alone. And he's saying, these people that are speaking these things to you, they are not in Christ. So they have no wisdom and they have no knowledge. He encourages the Christian, the, the Colossian believers not to be fooled by these convoluted arguments. 
Know your source is what he's saying. They don't know Christ, therefore they have no wisdom and they have no knowledge. The Greek word Paul uses there is paralogizomai. It's funny because it means to fool or cheat or trick. He says, so these foolery, these tricking arguments that they make, it carries a clear sense of dishonesty and confusion. And we know who the author of confusion is. Our adversary, the devil. So these plausible, these paralogizomai arguments that you are that are you that you're hearing from the Judaizers and that you're hearing from the spiritualists and that you're hearing from the polytheists, uh, the 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 Gnostics. It's foolishness, but it's also a reference to today, to the church. It sounds reasonable that there are multiple paths to God. This is a reasonable, plausible. Paralogizomai argument. There's multiple paths to God. Everybody likes to have their bumper sticker. God's too big for one religion. These are paralogizomai arguments. They're actually somewhat believable. Hmm, that's true. God is too big for one religion. But that's foolishness. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by Him. It sounds reasonable that God is watching our every move and we need to do things exactly the way He said do them or He's going to smack us on the head and He's going to to put us away because we didn't do everything that the religion tells us to do. Legalism. Sounds plausible. It's it's paralogizomai. It's foolishness. Jesus lived perfectly, died sacrificially, rose victoriously so you could have His atoning blood applied to you because you cannot keep the law. You can't. We actually just covered it in our, in our, uh, in our question today. Man has never been able to keep the law. And so God made a way. Jesus lived perfectly, died sacrificially, rose victoriously so you would be able to have atonement. Not you're doing good. Not you're being perfect and following the religion. But because we have a God who loves and who suffered on our behalf, and now we get to share in that suffering and, and share that suffering with the world. So it sounds reasonable when you're going through suffering. You must have done something really bad to God. You must have really... You ever heard that? Uh, Well, somebody's not living right. These are paralogizomai. These are foolish arguments, but they sound plausible. Wow. Maybe I am doing something bad. Maybe God is making me suffer for this bad thing. Our suffering is purposeful and it's reflective of God's suffering. His Son who suffered on our behalf. It gives value to the Lord's suffering when we suffer honorably and joyfully. And He brings many sons and daughters to glory. So human arguments, they may appear wise. Paul basically says, you guys are a bunch of fools. You're paralogizomai. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, Paul writes, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion 
raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to do what? Obey Christ. Jesus is the focus of it all. And if your wisdom isn't from Christ, it is not wisdom at all. If your knowledge is not of Christ, it is no knowledge at all. It is paralogizomai. It is a foolish argument with dishonesty and trickery at its core. Human knowledge often sets itself against God because humanity set itself against God at the fall. And so, though wisdom is of great value, Proverbs says that, that true wisdom, if it's not from God and His Word, is not true wisdom. It's paralogizomai. It's foolishness. It's trickery. And it comes from Satan, the father of all lies and confusion. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the opportunity to, to share this. I look forward to continuing to preach Your Word. Father, I look forward to that completion when we are presented to You in, in, in perfect status. So Father, why we wrestle with the spiritual elements while we battle our own flesh and we fight for holiness. We desire to reflect You. Please continue to pour Your power on us that we would be able to do that. Because in our own strength, we will surely fail. And in our own strength, should we be presented to You on Judgment Day, we will surely fall short. So God, I pray. I pray right now that You would strengthen the believer. That they would not fall victim to paralogizomai arguments. That they would embed themselves in the words of truth. That they would hear admonishment when they get it. That they would be uh, aware that they fall short and that they, can, that they can bring honor and glory to You. May we be taught well from the Bible. And Lord, may we drown out the foolishness and the plausible arguments that the culture and ultimately the devil whisper and sometimes scream in our ears. In Jesus' name, Amen.